Well, good evening, everyone. Let's start this right with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for this evening. Lord, for the time that you've allowed us to have and the ability to gather together. Because, Lord, it's our desire to worship you and to honor you. Lord, with our words, with our minds, with our hearts, with our voices. And God, with our bodies, with our strength, with the gifts that you've given us. Lord, we want to honor you. So in that spirit, Lord, God, I pray that as we go into your word tonight, that yes, it will work on us, and Lord, we will glorify you in humble obedience. Amen. The theme of this evening that I'm talking about is Jesus and Zacchaeus, but probably something a little more accurate would be Jesus and the outcast. We are surrounded by outcasts all around us. And there are times where we ourselves feel like the outcast for one reason or another. That happens. And then for another reason, many times the outcast either goes unnoticed is judged, or even pushed further away because they are an outcast. If we reflect on some of the outcasts we've met, we can think of perhaps how we've responded to an outcast. But being believers in Jesus Christ, something we must never forget, is we ask ourselves, how did Jesus treat and love the outcast. Jesus being 100% God and 100% man, He revealed this throughout all of His ministry that yes, He was divine and human. And, and in such a way, we see that He is able to exercise not only a precise understanding of what it means to have the mind of God while exercising, yes, His human freedom in a way that He serves others in a way that lifts up the Lord. And in line with our theme, the way Christ loved the outcasts. In the Gospel according to Luke, Luke gives us the testimony about several different outcasts that Jesus reached out to and He ministered to. We see the leper, the paralytic, Levi, the tax collector, who we know as Matthew. The sinful woman that washed Jesus' feet with her hair. The demonically possessed man whose demons were called legion as an entire league of demons existed within him. And another one, Zacchaeus, whom we'll be speaking about today. What are we to do about the outcasts, and what does Jesus want us to do about these outcasts? You know, one of the biggest problems with outcasts is sometimes they're hard to see because too many of us have grown accustomed to ignoring them. Yet if we just stopped for a moment and considered who the outcasts are among us, because, believe it or not, there are those that are outcasts among us, or even feel like they are outcasts among us. 
that if we would just see them, then we would know we have an opportunity to be like Christ. And how he was to Zacchaeus, we can in turn also be like Christ and minister to the outcasts that are among us and around us. Jesus took the time to stop, and not only stop, but then to encounter people because he loved them. And he wanted to see them restored. And so with that heart in mind, turn with me to Luke 19. Luke 19, and I'm going to be reading the first 10 verses from this passage. Luke 19, verses 1 through 10. This is the word of our Lord. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus hurried and he came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. This is the people around Jesus, the teachers and those that were following Jesus, looking for opportunities to entangle him. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I defrauded anyone of anything, I'll restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. Since he, is also, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. I want to bring this passage parallel to another one that I've read earlier today, also from the book of Luke. What Jesus has done with Zacchaeus is proof that Jesus backs up his words with his actions as he has taught this lesson time and time again. So if you would, please go ahead and turn also now to Luke 15. I spoke about this story this morning, and I'm going to be reading verses 3 through 7. Luke 15, 3 through 7. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country? And go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons that, that need no repentance. A shepherd was out with his sheep when one of them went missing. Out there alone. Not protected by the elements. Not protected from 
other creatures that would seek to devour it and destroy it. A creature that is oftentimes at risk of its own stupidity even, to the point where some sheep have been known to drown themselves in drinking from a creek if they're told not to come up. And what we see here is a shepherd that is willing to face all of those things, willing to find their lost sheep. The scorching desert sun, the creatures of the wilderness, none of those things will hinder the shepherd's search. The shepherd could have easily have given up. After all, the shepherd had 99 other sheep. But he didn't. And Jesus Christ, who says that he is our shepherd, he went all the way, giving of himself, yes, his time and comfort and rest to look for this one sheep. Each sheep was important. And this shepherd did not relent in this parable until he found it. And then in finding that sheep, in recognizing, yes, the struggle and the desire and the hope to find that sheep, when that sheep was found, then yes, celebration ensued. The sheep that was lost was found. The sheep that was in danger has been now brought to safety. The sheep that needed provision is now being provided for. The sheep that was an outcast, has now been brought in. Verse 10 said, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And this verse sums up a great deal of the ministry of Jesus Christ. He came to seek and to save. And the word save means to make whole, to completely restore. Jesus Christ, who took upon himself the form of a servant and became obedient to the point of death to save us, he is our good shepherd. And he restored, yes, our lost relationship with the Father. Jesus made a way for us to have access to him in the most holy place. Isaiah 53.6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Lord knows each of us by name. Jesus came to reach out to the lost, to the outcast. And the sheep may have wandered away from his presence, but it was still precious to him. And he wants these sheep to come home. He wants all of his lost sheep to return to him. He wants, yes, the outcasts among us to return to him. I think it's interesting in this passage that uh, towards the end we, we, we read about how there's so little concern for the 99. The 99 are, are on the field, but they're, they're taken care of. The shepherd was not worried about losing the 99 because they were not outcasts. They were not lost. They were not out there. But he became concerned with the one that was. 
There was no need to rescue the ones that have already been rescued. That work had been done. But there was still a sheep out there that needed him. Do we do the same kind of math when it comes to our ministry and to what Christ has put before us in terms of our work? So often we get entangled with this idea of, you know, yes, we are here together as the body of Christ. And, and in general, I know we cannot judge one another's hearts as who is saved and, and who is not. But in general, when we look at our church, we presume we presume our salvation, don't we? That those of us that are here gathered, that we are brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. We're part of that 99 sheep. Whether or not our congregation is 99 in number or not, we're part of that 99. So then the question becomes, what about the outcast? What about the lost sheep? What about the ones that got away? And, and are we to be so focused on just the 99 that we forget about the outcast as the church? No. We're called to go after that sheep. Matthew 16, 26 says, For what profit is it to a man if he gains his whole world and yet loses his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Consider the souls of the outcasts. Consider what awaits for the soul that is lost. And then consider what we have. Does it really sound like that great of a sacrifice if we must give up something of ourselves, if it means doing the ministry work of the Lord, which might bring eternity and salvation to the soul of the outcast and the lost? We're talking about temporary value for us versus eternal value for our neighbor. The value in preaching the gospel, we can't measure because it's too great. God desires that his loss will be saved, and he values the soul. Each soul, yes, is important. And He cares for you. He cares about your soul. And you are precious in His sight as well. God loves you so much that He'll not let you wander or go astray. In fact, He will never leave you once He is with you. Nothing you can do will separate you from His love when you are in Jesus Christ. His sheep are important to Him. It's why it's so important to him that, yes, we are restored to him. That that which once was lost is now found. In John 21, Jesus is speaking with Peter. And he begins to talk about the church. And he's in the process of restoring Peter. Jesus has, has died. And he has returned from the grave. And he is here sitting with Peter. And they are talking. Peter has been found, yes, he is guilty of rejecting 
Jesus Christ in his words. He's even cursed Jesus Christ. And Jesus is restoring him. And, and he goes over and over again. He says, he said to him again, he said, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And what did Jesus say? He said, tend to my sheep. You see, Peter sinned against Christ. <laughs> Judas also sinned against Christ. And while Peter was remorseful, he was also forgiven and he was restored. And we we're told that in Matthew 27 that Judas, though he regretted his actions somewhat, he was not able to return to Jesus and he did not seek forgiveness. And he felt so bad about it that, yes, he committed suicide. But he never turned back to the Lord. Judas did not humble himself before God as it takes humility to repent. Scripture says, all have sinned. And the question is, will we be more like Judas or Peter when it comes to our sin? Will we react like Peter and turn to Jesus for forgiveness and restoration? The lost that has now been found? Or will we, rely, or will we react like Jesus, Judas did and surrender? Jesus is calling us Yes, to confess of our sins, to turn to Him and let Him forgive you. Let Him use you to be an agent of His grace, His forgiveness, and His restoration in the lives of others. If you turn to the Lord, He will restore. Now, when we talk about this word restore, what we mean is this, the word restore means to return to recover, to be put back in order, to adjust, to bring to a former position or to reinstate. And God is willing to welcome us back even when we have disappointed Him. Even when, yes, we have rebelled against Him. He is interested in seeing, yes, His lost children restored to Him. He forgives sins. He restores sinners. He heals the broken. I think one of Satan's favorite lies to the broken is that they're too far gone for the love and the forgiveness of the Lord to work. But that is the exact business as to what Jesus Christ came here to do, to seek and save the lost. He forgives, He restores. He forgives you, He restores you too. If you come to him. First John 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. So what do we do with this? Where do we go from here? This, this lost, the outcast. Well, on a personal level, we need to recognize whether or not we are also lost. Admit where we need to be found and restored and bring that before the Father. Restoration starts with an acknowledgement of our sin and a remorseful and humble return to the Lord. Like the prodigal son returning to his father. Yes, we have sins and we have mistakes, 
but we should not be ashamed to come before the, before the Lord because He has prepared that for us. It is in the hands and the feet and the blood of Jesus Christ. We must go to the Lord for help and be humble. We must repent, yes, to, to admit our sin and to turn from it and to turn towards the Lord. Does that mean that there aren't going to be struggles of the flesh in the future? There will probably still be some fleshly struggle. But the desire is changed. Because even though we still struggle, we still have a desire for our Lord. So repent and turn from, the, and turn from sin. And then receive God's forgiveness. And His forgiveness for you. That means that, yes, there is a time of guilt, there is a time of shame in our lives when we have presented our sin before the Lord. But there also comes a point where when we receive His forgiveness and we must move forward. And what I mean by move forward, I mean the way we look at our sin of the past is different now when we are in Christ. The sin is still there, it's still part of our history. But it is no longer there to tie us to death. As now our sin turns to be part of our testimony which preaches the life that we have in Christ. So then we move forward in this life. And then we move closer to the Lord over time. We work, yes, on our relationship with God, growing ever closer to Him day in and day out. We don't allow the distractions of life to, to pull us away from the Lord, but we want to grow closer to Him. We want to get into His Word, and we, and we need to be committed to reading Scripture. We need to, yes, commit ourselves to the discipline and the practice of prayer in our lives. We need to renew our minds, filling it with the things of the Lord. We need to look to God in faith for provision and to not neglect fellowship with one another as the church is here to help encourage and lift us up even in our weakness and encourage us to the Lord. And we need to give thanks. We need to give thanks to our good God for His amazing grace. Now, if God has done all of this for us and He has shown us this example, Let's come back to the outcast. The other outcasts as well. Zacchaeus was a thief. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. And the tax collectors during that age, they were wealthy and well-to-do. Why? Because they liked to add a, something a little bit extra for themselves as they collected taxes. And if they were a Jew, it was even worse because they collected taxes on behalf of the Roman government. So not only were they thieves for, for stealing money from their neighbors, but they were also traitors for serving the Roman government. And this is how they were, were viewed. And Zacchaeus was both a traitor and a thief. And I felt bad for him because... He's short on top of it. 
You know, and he's heard about this Jesus Christ. He's heard about what he's doing. And he's excited. Who is this Jesus? I need to see him. And he's excited enough that he's willing to climb a tree. Question. How would you feel if you were short and you had to climb a tree to get a view? Might be a little humiliating. I know my kids in their young age and their short stature are still embarrassed of having to ask for help to reach the top shelves to get a cup or a bowl or something like that. And more often than not, if I hear a loud clanker from the kitchen while I'm in the living room, I guarantee you my kids have found a way to grab a step stool or have found a way to climb up on a countertop to reach something so they don't have to go through the embarrassment of me thinking of them as being short. And here is Zacchaeus amongst a crowd climbing a tree, trying to get the attention and trying to see this man, this miraculous someone, Jesus Christ. <laughs> you wonder what must have gone through Zacchaeus' head when Jesus said, Hey, I am going to dinner with you. <laughs> Zacchaeus sitting in the tree, Me? Okay, what's up in that tree? The onlookers surrounding them, wondering, what on earth is Jesus doing? He's a traitor. He's a thief. He is an outcast among our people. Why should this quote-unquote teacher spend any time with refuse like that? And here Jesus is going into his home to have a meal with this outcast. We see the story and somewhere along the way, Zacchaeus is turning from his ways and he is turning towards Christ and he's saying, look, I don't need this wealth. All this money that I have taken and I acquired over the years, I don't need that. I'm going to give away half of it. Yeah, there. Like that. Half is gone right now. And I'm going to make right those that I've stolen from. I will make this right, Lord. Zacchaeus recognized what his, son, what his sin had caused him to do what he had chosen to do in his sin against the Lord. And Christ saw the joy. Christ saw this, this satisfaction in Zacchaeus. And he celebrated. He celebrated. That which was lost is now found. And it started because Christ stopped and had an encounter with an outcast. He did not avoid the outcast. He did not label the outcast for one reason or another, as everybody else was calling him a thief, a sinner, a scoundrel, whatever name you can imagine given to someone. He didn't label him, no. He, all he could say was he is lost and he needs to be found. Have there been times in our lives where we have jumped the gun to put a label on someone rather than stop 
and pray for their salvation, or better yet, even stop and have an encounter with an outcast. Sometimes the outcast will come directly to you. And then God is putting the ball in your hands about what you're going to do about that situation. Having lived in the city, it happened all the time. (laughs) But I learned this last week, it happens in the country too. I was sharing this story this morning in Sunday school. I was simply coming up to do some of the chairs on Saturday morning, and a gentleman pulls up next to the van where my wife and kids are at, weeping and saying, I'm desperate. Is the pastor here? Can I talk to someone? I'm sitting there in my karate gear, green belt and all hiding it under my jacket. And I see this guy talk to my wife. I was like, I better go out and and see if everything's okay. I skipped class. I sent my wife away. And me and this gentleman had a good talk. In fact, we talked for two hours. This man felt like an outcast. And he knew he needed to get closer to Jesus. And I praise God that we had the chance to not only talk, but to pray. And I was praying for him even today, thinking about the struggles that he had shared with me. And part of that prayer is, Lord, if this guy I barely even know comes back, God, I pray that we'll continue to build on one another. I understand sometimes that when we meet an outcast or we talk to someone that is even among us that has been outcast, there are things that will distract you from the ministry of their souls. The mistakes they've made. The positions that, yes, their bad decisions have put them in. But let's make one thing clear. My job is not to judge their past. My job is to share with them about a Savior that loves them and cares about their future in Him. So let us minister to the outcast. Just as the Lord took the time to find us while we were still sinners, while we were still lost, He found us. Let us use that example in how we minister in this church and beyond this church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you so much. God, that while we were still sinners, you loved us. That while we were still sinners, you sent your Son to die on the cross for us. Lord, that while we were outcasts, you found us and you brought us into your own. God, that you adopted us as your children when we were orphaned to death. God, we cannot be thankful enough for that. So God, my prayer is is that out of a heart of gratitude, out of a heart of humility, out of a heart that receives all that you've done, Lord, may we also minister the way you've ministered to us, Lord. 
Help us not to forsake those that are outcasts, Lord. Help us not to ignore those that look broken on the outside, for, Lord, they're probably even more disastrous on the inside. God, you tell us not to judge on the outward appearance. For all of us, God, have sinned. All of us have a need for you. And the lost, the outcast, can take any appearance in any shape, any form. So, Lord, let us take on the form of Christ and be a ministry to them as champions of your love and your grace. Lord, we love you and we thank you. Amen. God bless. You all have a good night.